the national strategic plan is used by the department to create awareness on gender-based violence and to, and, and to convert lockdown challenges that we come across and sharing information on the services to be offered. The department monitors uh, the implementation of the emergency response action plan in governance and ensures weekly reporting on pillars of, of the plan which is escalated to the president. The plan was meant to be executed within six months and reporting is extended to respond to challenges based by the lockdown uh, in respect of gender-based violence. Thank you, Minister. Unfortunately, Minister, unfortunately, your time has expired. You can do that in answering to the supplementary. Honorable Shengwa. Thank you, Chairperson. Minister, what alternative alert measures were considered uh, by the department taken into account that women? My apologies. Hello? Go ahead, Honorable Member. I'm here, Honorable Senwa. No, I, I made a mistake. I uh, Please go ahead, ma'am. I apologize for the disruption. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. Minister, what alternative alert measures were considered by the department taking into account that women and vulnerable children might not have telephones access or afraid of the report abuse while being, being in such close proximity? to their abusers or might have been intimidated to report at the police station for few breaking of the street lockdown regulations. What did the department do to alert the public that victims of domestic abuse are free to report to the police station where there any public announcement on radio stations, for instance, beside the formal publication of the regulation? I thank you. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Minister, but before you respond, put the whips. Remind members that they may only ask one supplementary question. Uh, it helps us save time so that many more members are able to do so and that the ministers are able to respond to as many questions as they can do within the given time. Let's do that. Honorable Minister. Yes, Honorable uh, Shonga, we do have a command center we, which we share with social development so, in, so that those who do not have the means to phone in their own households could sneak out and use 
those facilities. But also we use all means of communications in all the languages, all, even on print uh, media. Where we can, we even remove uh, children and families nearer or near the perpetrators if it does not work. But remember, this would not have been if it was not for coronavirus. No, no, that's not provided for. Honorable Minister, connecting. Um. Honorable Chair, I've just concluded my intervention. I may add, if I still have more time, that besides the... So, uh, Honorable Minister, there's a question asked by Honorable Mahangeshad. Did you hear it? Not a, not a word. You didn't hear it? Not a word. No, no, it's a supplementary question. It's been asked from the floor right now. Can I ask her, uh, honorable members, please, uh, uh, this is a slight hitch. Don't go to town about it. Honorable Mohammed Salah, ask your question. The minister is now listening, and then she will respond. Thank you, uh, honorable Minister, Minister, uh, my question is, how many victims of gender-based violence have been helped during the COVID-19 lockdown, especially the women with disabilities? If yes, what interventions uh, were offered to those women? Thank you. Thank you. Honorable, uh, I might not be uh, giving you figures 
uh, as you are asking, but we are working as a department with our fellow departments in all the provinces, in all the shelters, together with the, all the non-governmental organizations. Just a week passed, uh, myself and the Minister of Social Development, uh, we met together with the UNFPA, UN and women, to reach out to women here in Gauteng who were in need and donated all that which women would need, not food parcels. You and I know that women in stress need more than just food. So that, that's what we do. And this is just but the beginning. We will continue working in partnership with like-minded organizations together with our government. As I said earlier on, we've also formed a, uh, an IMC, which is meant to implement the national strategic plan. This is meant or included Minister of Police, Minister of uh, 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 Justice, uh, Minister of Social Development, a Minister of Public Service and Administration. We will form a committee or a, a council in the end, which will include other leaders from the non-governmental organization. Thank you, Minister. Uh, honorable members, the next supplementary question. Uh, I'm still hoping to hear whether Honorable Monsieur is connecting. Honorable members, we work on the basis of names that were given to us as per agreement. That's the procedure we are following. Uh, so I've got names of those people before me. Now, the next one is the uh, supplementary question asked by Honorable Sonji, who I guess is doing so virtually because she's not in the house. Uh, let's do that. Honorable Sonji, come in. Minister, Minister, we have been subjected. Hello? Minister, we have been subjected. Can I proceed? Yes, please. Can I proceed? subjected to gender-based violence before and during the lockdown. Mrs. Ritabile Pakela was raped in her house in the early hours. Mrs. Rebecca Sumbane was banged by her partner in Marikana, and she couldn't report or open the case to the police due to the regulations that made it very difficult for everyone to go out of the house. 
what plans your department have put in place to protect our women as well? How do you ensure that they get justice? Thank you. We we do work with women in the who are not in government, the the, the social sector, who help do door knocks, who assist these vulnerable women and accompany them to report the cases. Because we were very much, we became aware that uh, this lockdown, while it, while it meant to protect the lives of the women, it was almost like they were sent uh, to slaughterhouse. So those women, like I said, working together with UN women, which is a UN body, they gave us strategies on how to get those women out so that a case doesn't just become a, you know, a phone in and that's it. Particularly even with the ministers, my, my partners who used to accuse, thinking maybe this doesn't really you know, bite them when we formed the uh, IMC. Uh, so we will be meeting again next week uh, in the IMC to make sure that we make progress in this regard. We prefer to rather get the perpetrator out of the home because wherever the mother is, she is with the children and the family. So we will be saying this also, reminding colleagues that if the perpetrator is the one that's making life hell for these people who are not there because they want to, but because of the situation of life and death that was brought by this pandemic, it's the perpetrator who should leave the peaceful people alone. Thank you, Minister. Uh, honorable members, I'm told Honorable Misha is ready to connect. Honorable Misha, please go ahead. He's connected. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Lockdown has unfortunately, among other things, resulted in the loss of employment for many providers in the homes. And that unfortunately led to hunger that would also cause accusations. That would lead to accusations of the provider failing to provide and resulting with the frustration that these providers have because they cannot provide for their families. The unfortunate thing is for these providers to unleash their frustrations on members of their families. So my question to the minister is that besides advising the victims of domestic abuse to go and report cases of abuse, does the department offer any counseling to the affected families to try and minimize the misunderstandings that leads to this frustration because when a person has lost a job that it's not only the provider who is at pain but the family also that cannot have provision is also at pain so i want to know Honorable whether there's any form of uh, Honorable Minister, thank you very much your camera has expired uh, please honorable members 
Don't explain your questions. It takes all your time. Ask the question. We hope the minister will be able to respond to you effectively. Honorable Minister. Honorable Muruti Mishwe. It's an old adage that a man who feels inferior runs to punish women for whatever they haven't done. So please, let the man who could not provide think the only way he could do things is to beat, harm those who have done absolutely nothing wrong. Those who actually expect love and care from him, particularly at this time of the pandemic. The Department of Social Development has been tasked by the government to distribute food parcels, never mind the social, the, the SASA, but there was also the 350 rand that was to be provided or given out just for the time being to families that find themselves vulnerable. But I really feel and plead with you, uh, the man of the cloth, that it should not come from you, Murut, uh, that men who do not know what to do with themselves must go ventilate their frustrations to their families. Thank you, Minister. Honorable members, the next question is 116. That has been asked by Honorable Brunewald to the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs. I've been informed the Minister will be answering questions uh, uh, virtually. Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you, uh, Deputy Speaker. Uh, my department is not aware of the confusion that Honorable Hunewald is talking about because the regulations uh, were clear and the regulations said that the business must possess a business license or permit to trade issued in accordance with the Business Act 1991 or a business license or trading permit issued by the relevant municipality. Now, after that, the Minister of Small Business issued directions that further clarified what should happen. And I'll, I'll, I'll read from some of those directions just to clarify. Then it says all enterprises must ensure that the absolute minimum number of staff necessary to safety operate the enterprise are at work during the lockdown period. Furthermore, employees are encouraged to provide transport. That's clear. The grocery stores outlets uh, must operate during, who operate during the lockdown 
period, irrespective of the nationality or their owners, provided that they adhere to the following. Then it explains very clearly all spaza shop owners and informal food traders must hold permits issued by their respective local municipalities, allowing them to trade in line with the provision of the Business Act 1991 as amended. No person may stay overnight in a grocery shop. Only the sale of foodstuffs and basic necessities is permitted. The grocery store must uphold the health and hygiene requirements, maintaining a social distance among customers and between the trader and customer of at least one meter. Now, it goes on. It explains very clearly what should happen. So I don't know when uh, Honorable Hunevat says there was confusion between the metro or local enforcers and municipalities. I don't know where the confusion would have arisen from. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you, Mr. Honorable Funovac, as usual, being the first questioner. The supplementary question goes to you. It's coming into the virtual platform. Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Um, Honorable Minister, if that is the case, the municipalities have, um, have authority to issue permits um, other than normal trading permits in terms of their bylaws. Yet these municipalities have been issuing permits to businesses and individuals. A Form 2 of the Addendum A was the example issued by Makwaka Municipality that is a, uh, supposed to be an essential service worker to a person to travel over municipal borders to go and see a doctor, as stated in the permit. This creates confusion. The Minister's Department that have the function and responsibility of cooperative governance did not communicate these relevant regulations properly to all municipalities and law enforcement. What is the minister going to do to ensure adequate communication between relevant departments, local government and law enforcement going forth, especially when differentiated levels are implemented? Thank you, Deputy Speaker. Well, first of all, when it comes to differentiated levels, let's say it doesn't arise from the answer, so I will not deal with that. But what I want to say to Honorable Hunevald is that uh, the we work together in issuing the regulations, the Minister of Police and other ministers. So when we communicate, first, everything is gazetted. Everything I've read to you is gazetted. Secondly, all the ministers also communicate to the law, the Minister of Police and the relevant ministers communicate to the people who enforce. So I really do not know where the confusion was, but if there was, uh, some of the issues that may have arisen, um, some of them were brought to our attention. I, I, I then bring them to the attention of the law enforcers and they get resolved. We must also remember that this is the first time we're in this situation. There, 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 there may be confusion here and there, but those issues must be raised as when they happen so that they are resolved. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The next one goes to Honorable Khalid. 
Thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. The regulations that were imposed during Level 5 in terms of trade left out informal sector, which comprises of women who sells fruits, who sells vegetables, who sells amakwe nyamangina. You'll find these women in many places, Minister, such as Guamamba, MJPN, and all over South Africa. These regulations left them with no assistance. Focus was only on big businesses, mainly whites. What is your, what is your department's plan to ensure that informal traders who lost income get relief? Well, first of all, my department is not really treasury, doesn't have money to. The, the, the president announced the packages and relevant ministers uh, are dealing with those packages that, uh, that, that are to cushion either individuals or businesses. But let me also say to Honorable Mkalipe that what I was reading is an amendment that was made, which is part of the regulations of level four. And these directions, as I was reading, it says all spas are shop owners, informal food traders. So it doesn't leave other people except those who were selling cooked food because cooked food was not allowed at that level. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. Honorable Member uh, Tinja, are you rising on a point of order? Why is your hand up? Otherwise, lower your hand. Okay, let's move to the next one. You, uh, the member will lower his or her hand. Uh, I can experiment here. The last one, uh, no, the third supplementary is asked by Honorable Hussein. Uh, Honorable Hussein. Uh, Deputy Speaker, thank you very much. Um, uh, Honorable municipalities in our country that have introduced their own uh, permitting system and uh, different requirements. Now, this has made it very difficult for uh, businesses and NGOs, especially when it comes to the distribution of food. Uh, you'll also know that as a result of that, uh, the Democratic Alliance had to seek an urgent order from the court. And in that case, the court ordered that uh, government cannot prohibit NGOs and businesses from whether or not you have distributed uh, and brought this uh, ruling to the order uh, to the attention of municipalities. And if you haven't done so, by when can we expect that you will bring this to the attention of the municipalities? Thank you very much. Thank you. Honorable Minister. Honorable Deputy Speaker, I lost uh, Honorable Hussein somewhere along the way. Can he repeat? Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much, Deputy Speaker. Honorable Minister, um, what I was saying to you is that uh, there are some municipalities that have uh, introduced their own permitting system, especially when it comes to the distribution of uh, food. And businesses and NGOs have been finding it difficult uh, to distribute food because of that hindrance. And you'll know that as a result of that, uh, the, the Democratic Alliance had to seek an urgent order from the court 
And in that case, uh, the, the court had ruled that government cannot prohibit uh, uh, NGOs and businesses from distributing food to communities. What I'd like to know from you is whether or not you have brought that court order to the attention of municipalities so that that inconvenience can come to an end. And if you haven't done so, by when can we expect you to do so? Thank you very much. Yes, Honourable uh, Minister, we can't hear you. Please unmute. Unmute, Honourable Minister. You wouldn't have asked. Uh, the minister will answer. Let's just have that. Uh, Can you hear me now? Uh, we can't hear you, Steve. Go ahead, minister. You can't hear me? No, we can. Oh, okay. No, I was saying that part of what uh, Honorable Hussein has asked as a supplementary question does not arise from what I've said. But let me uh, respond to part of his question. That. Actually, municipalities do have uh, within their sphere uh, a right to, to, to have their own uh, regulations, not under the disaster, but in their own uh, laws. And, in the, and they can make bylaws and all that. So if they did, as long as it wasn't opposite to what the national um, regulations required. If it was opposite to what the national regulations required, then obviously uh, they were doing something wrong. And, um, but we, we, we have informed those that we were made aware of, clarified things to those who uh, made us aware that there were issues with municipalities. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Honorable Njaisa, uh, also coming in from outside. Yeah, yeah, from the Katia, maybe, or French. The chief whip is from Stax Bridge. He says they go to town to connect. Let's hope this answer. Honorable Speaker, Honorable is not, not in the streets of Matakel. I don't know where he is. He is very scarce here. Uh, is there anybody in the house who can uh, do that on this uh, on this behalf? Honorable Jaisa, are you there? If he's, he's not muted. there. He's there, but he's muted. He should unmute. It has to be a member from his party, his week. Uh, who is ready to do that? Uh, 
honorable members, don't get involved in other people's affairs. It's none of your business whether they fight or not. Is there a question? I can't hear you. Uh, the honorable member is struggling to connect. Um, who would like to take that slot and then we move? Go ahead, honorable member. Where is he? Honorable Hussein, go ahead. Honorable Hussein, are you ready? Uh, yes, thank you very much. Uh, 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 Honourable Minister, you, you, you clearly uh, obviously didn't hear the, the previous question and I was referring in particular to the, um, the, uh, the High Court ruling about uh, the food uh, distribution that the court ruled against government that was secured by the Democratic Alliance. Uh, my concern, uh, Deputy Minister, is that your department has not brought this High Court ruling uh, to the attention of municipalities and there are still many municipalities that are preventing uh, NGOs and businesses, and it's related directly to the question that there are also businesses that are being hindered from this, and th which is the reason why we had to secure that court order to, pre to prevent government from stopping uh, businesses from distributing food parcels and food to poor communities. What I want to know from you is, are you going to make sure that the regulations and the court orders in this regard are brought to the attention of all municipalities in our country so that there is consistency in the manner in which your regulations are being implemented. Thank you. Minister. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, obviously, there was no... Uh, all, the, all the honorable members that the minister answer you. You ask the question, uh, wait for the answer. Honorable minister, no, please go ahead. There was no reason for people to... Uh, for municipalities if they stopped people distributing food, even though the directions about distribution of food do not reside with COPTA, but uh, that, that would have been wrong. But we, we will try if those court cases come to our attention to inform uh, the municipalities in future. Thank you. Thank you. Honorable members, uh, uh, thank you very much. I've had fun with you. Uh, I'm now inviting the speaker to connect. Madam Speaker, connect so that you can release me from the chair. I've been so sweet on you, but not. Madam Speaker, are you connecting? Thank you. There's no career here. Deputy Speaker, thank you very, very much. Thank you very much. Come in, ma'am. Go ahead. Honorable members, we proceed, honorable members, to question 119, which was put by the honorable Gung Kubele.
to the Minister of Social Development. I've been informed the Minister is ready to respond. Minister, please go ahead. Minister Social Development. Honorable members, we are at question number 119. It was put by the Honorable Gungu Bele to the Minister of Social Development. I now invite the Minister to respond. Is the Minister online? Honorable Speaker. This is Singh here from the IFP. Yes, Mr. Singh. Yeah, could we not proceed to the next question while they try and locate the minister to save time? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Singh. Honorable members, we will do so. We will come back to question 119 and we will then proceed to the next question, which was put by Honorable Kwarube. It is question number 193. Is the Minister of Health available? The Minister of Health. Can we find out whether the Minister of Health is on, the Minister of Social Development is on, and all the other ministers who have undertaken to be on this virtual sitting today? Okay, give me a few seconds. I'm just sitting on the parliamentary uh, session. So what I will do, no, no, not a problem. Minister, what I will do, let me minister. just get my team to give me the last word so that I can see what is it that we can rule on it so that we can move it from there. I'll then come back to you because uh, it was... Yes, Minister, I know that we are taking you in the place of the Minister of Social Development. You still had a few minutes to, uh, to tie up your business. We are now stuck because both you and the Minister of um, Social Development are saying you are, we can't find you. I will give you a few minutes, Honorable Minister, and move on to the next minister. And I know that it is also unfair to go to this minister because the Minister of Social Development should be here. And that question, which is, may I first start off by finding out whether Minister of Basic Education is ready? Yes, Speaker, I am. Please, ma'am, thank you very much for being ready. Can I then ask you to respond to the question which was put to you by the Honorable Meshwe? No, thank you very much, Speaker, and also thank to members of Parliament. So indeed, uh, Speaker, we will provide personal protective... Oh, let me open the, the camera. I'm sorry about that. So we will, uh, uh, Speaker, provide personal protective equipment to all learners and educators in public schools 
and the other answer is that the provision will be made on arrival of schools for teachers. Everybody will, will receive their protective clothes upon arrival, and the provincial education departments are the ones that are responsible for procuring these PPEs, and the cost can be obtained from all different provinces. What National did through the Department of Trade and Industry was to develop the specification and a proposed price for all the different specifications so that you don't have a situation where everybody buys at different prices. And that's all that we did, but all the procurement took place in provinces. And so how much they spent will be known by provinces, not by us, ourselves at national level. Thank you very much, Speaker. Thank you. The first supplementary goes to you, Muruti Mission. Thank you, Speaker, and thank you, Honorable Minister. While we appreciate what the Minister has said, I want to know whether unions that have been complaining, such as SATU, that schools are not ready because they do not have the PPEs, are they not honest in saying that? Um, when, even when they say that um, the PPEs are not in the actual individual schools, but they are in district offices, and they don't believe that the offices will deliver those um, PPEs on time. So my question is, are they not honest in saying they, there are no PPEs in the schools? Have they not seen it, or what is the problem? Thank you, sir. The Honorable the Minister. No. I want to ask you on I'm stating facts as reported in different provinces. We're saying the protective clothing or those PPEs for learners will be available in schools upon arrival. We're saying we first sent the first talk in the first wave when we had your senior managers, they arrived. This week, because they were expecting teachers, the teachers' PPEs are arriving. The learners' PPEs will arrive on time because what we were avoiding, which is happening in different schools, there are breakages. If they know that there are valuable items in schools, there are always breakages. We already have an inc many incidents of breakages in schools just this week. We even had deaths where people were killed trying to break into our schools. So the point about whether they're honest or dishonest, I don't want to get there. I can only give you the facts of what would have been reported to me by MECs, and I have no reason to doubt uh, what they were telling me. Thank you, Minister. The second supplementary goes to the Honorable Mashabela. Honorable uh, Mashabela. Thanks. Um... Speaker, I'm going to take the question for Honorable Mashavela. Um, Honorable Moshala, I'm going to shoot straight to the question. My yes. question is, what is on the list of the PPEs to be supplied to each school to be considered suitable for opening? In instances whereby learners have forgotten or misplaced their PPEs at home, is the, is the department going to, be, going to be able to supply all schools with surplus of PPEs? Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. No, Chair, every learner is going to be given two masks and will replenish later in the year in case there are losses, damages. But for the first round, we're going to give them each. 
There are going to be sanitizers, which are going to be used to clean surfaces every day. There are going to be hand sanitizers in every classroom. But there's also going to be your know, cleaning material that you are sending, the soaps that are being sent. And depending on the intensity of the, 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 the spread of the virus, for instance, you want to treat, for instance, Lomedu, where there's just no incident of any infection the way you will treat uh, uh, Jobek and Cape Town. So in areas where there's high intensity, there are also uh, double measures put in place. We've always, we're, we're also supplying soap in, because they have to wash hands or sanitize. So in case one of the two does not come in place, it's going to be there. In terms of just, the, 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 the protocols are saying no child will be allowed into the school premises if they have not, if they don't have their masks on. So there is no way they will say they've forgotten. So which means they'll have to turn at the gate to go and take, the, and take the second one. So they can't declare that they would have lost or forgotten one when they're already in the school, because they can't enter the school yard without a mask. Well, thank you, ma'am. The third supplementary is uh, taken by Ndaten Nguanko. The Honorable Nguanko. Thank you, thank you, House Speaker, thank you, Mama, because in light of the fact that you are going to have more than roughly about 200,000 teachers and parents getting ready for school next week, and due to the fact that we have seen media reports that there are a number of delays in delivering the PPEs, has, has any, uh, any interventions being undertaken to ensure that the correct protocols are followed in schools insofar as the use of PPEs because so that they don't end up becoming a major source of transmission for the coronavirus. Thank you. Thank you, sir. The Honorable Minister. No, Speaker, that was a strict instruction given by health when we were announced that we want to open schools that said priority number one is to make sure that schools don't become centers of infections priority number two they are not centers for spreading the infection before even talking about saving the year so those are the strict protocols that were given and that's why there's a clear regiment about what happens from when you enter the school premises that there's going to be daily testing at any school. So if a school does not have a thermometer, it will not operate. If a school has not already demarcated by Monday to, this, to, 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 to safe distance, it will not operate. If a school has not received its, its mask or anything, it will not operate. So there are clear protocols under which schools can operate. Otherwise, no school is going to be allowed to operate if it does not meet all the set-up criteria that have been given to us by health. Uh, thank you, Minister. Honorable members, we, we must thank the Minister. We go back to question number 119, which was uh, put by the Honorable Gungube to the Minister of Social Development. Minister? Sorry, Madam Speaker. The Honorable the Minister of Social Development. Madam Speaker, I have a point of order. What is the point of order? 
You only had three follow-ups to that question. There's Honorable Marchesi on the list as well. Oh, my, I must apologize. Honorable Marchesi, my apologies. Honorable Minister, I released you too early, Minister of Basic Education. Honorable Marchesi, your supplementary, please. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Speaker, and thank you to the Minister. Uh, my question is this. Uh, uh, Minister, given the fact that this morning we woke up to the news that uh, there were teachers that, were, that are infected with COVID-19, um, in case that, uh, you know, we do um, apply screening in school, uh, schools, but then, you know, Elena is found then to contract the virus and then it becomes asymptomatic. And and that Lena goes back home. Uh, what is the what is it that we are doing uh, to ensure that uh, learners that don't transmit the virus to their grandparents and also to parents with underlying conditions? Thank you, ma'am. The honourable minister. No, thank you, chair. We've been taken through the entire process of how to manage screening, testing, and how to react when you have a child or a person who presents high temperature. So those are protocols which are followed everywhere else, even if you were to, to be in parliament, that would be the same, the same protocols that schools are going to follow. In terms of children taking infections, or I think you're quite aware that the greatest risk is amongst adults, not children. Even in the case of Western Cape, where we've had these two infections, it's in infected adults, not children. So we are not saying children are not at risk, but we are saying that the risk factor. So our focus is really around uh, senior people. We'll be coming speaker to the Western Cape, because the Western Cape, especially in the different regions, are a major concern for us and the community was the two that come from the Western Cape. So we will be coming down on Sunday with the president to discuss with the province to say how do we manage Western Cape in a way that does not make sure that Western Cape keep on having the, 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 the infections that they're having or spreading the infections. But with the other cases, children are the least at risk. The most people at risk Others, and that's why we're focusing on teachers and workers, but we are not ruling out the fact that children should be protected. So we will protect them so there is no reason for them to be infections that are grannies because the schools want to infection. So they'll safe distance, they'll sanitize, they'll wear masks. If they're not infected by the time they shouldn't be infected by the time they leave the school. Thank you, Minister. Honorable Speaker, Honorable Speaker, Honorable Adjuns. Honorable Adjuns, what? You are on a point of order. Yes, there's also a supplementary question by Honorable Malachi. He was not noted. No, 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 member. No. I have taken, Honorable Member, any question has four supplementaries. The first supplementary comes from the person who put the question. Honorable Machesi was the last supplementary. So we thank the minister. He has dealt with the fourth supplementary 
and therefore we have dealt with that well. We're now moving on to the question which was put by Honorable to the Minister of Social Development. I did see that the Minister is on. Minister, please proceed. Minister of Social Development. Honorable Minister of Social Development. Is there another problem? Honorable members, we are back at No, there's no problem. The minister must just unmute your mouth. And Mike is muted. Honorable Minister of Social Development. Yes, I am here, Chairperson. I'm answering the question. Yeah, I want. I would like to thank Honorable Gungubelo for the for the for the question. The answer is that is that very. Uh, we've learned a lot of lessons. Firstly, is that social influencer has untapped capacity to improve its deliverables to the cold phase of our power. We are we can respond and efficiently. I can't hear Speaker, I, I think uh, the fact that the minister doesn't know how to use his gadgets is really not acceptable. And we members of the parliament were, were taken through a briefing. And I think they should also be taken through a briefing so they don't waste the time of parliament.
because they have been using virtual platforms and this particular minister is very sus with IT. Honorable Minister, can we pass the words to sort out the IT problems and move on to the other minister and the other question? Speaker, it seems we do have connectivity problems. Speaker. Honorable it's a point of order. Yes, because there's a lot of, of, of echo as the attack. Yes, it's, it's so noisy, we can't hear anything. Yes, um, I have sent a message to the administration to mute everybody who is not on the floor. So, whilst we are sorting out what the are with the Minister of Social Development. Can we move on to the Minister of Health? Minister of Health, are you back? Yes. Can I please ask you to, to respond? to the question which was put to you by the Honorable Farube. Thank you very much. I'm sorry about the earlier miscommunication. Uh, I, I hadn't uh, been aware that it was my turn, uh, but then uh, I also have my side muted, so I didn't realize uh, already some uh, breakthrough points. Question uh, from uh, Honorable Kwahube uh, is a question about modeling. The, is asked, she asked about what we need to expect through models that the COVID-19 infection will, will, will pick and what is the death rate at that time. The response is as follows. There are several modeling groups that have released the, their estimates publicly, and there are three types of estimates that are currently being modeled. One, projection which estimate the number of new infections and deaths as well as resources that will be required for the response to the interventions fully implemented that can flatten the curve. <coughs> and three, special and mortality that are models that can be used to identify hotspots. The estimated provide the estimates provided by these models are influenced by assumptions used by the models, uh, the different models. The model presented in a recent uh, uh, virtual symposium which we hosted as a department included projection models from the South African COVID-19 Modeling Consortium, which is composed of models from National Institute of Communicable Diseases, Modeling and Simulation Hub of South Africa, a unit of the UCT, uh, and the Center for Excellence in Epidemiological Modeling and Analysis at the University of Stellenbosch and the health economics and epidemiology research from VITS. There was another from Deloitte, on business for South Africa and the Actuarial Society of South Africa. According to the South African uh, Modeling Consortium, the peak in, of the infection is expected in mid-July in what is called the pessimistic scenario and in mid-August in the optimistic scenario. This model estimates that provinces will peak at different times the ASA model uh, predicts that the peak will be full in August. These models should be considered dynamic and are dependent on the data available and as new data comes in, such as hospitalizations, uh, become available, the new estimates will be released by the modelers. 
as the output of these models are not cast in stone, we should only be used as a guide of what may be possible, and so that we plan and take all of those into account. B, the different models that have been made, that have been made in public have different death rates at the peak. This, uh, the, COVID, the South African COVID-19 modeling consortium estimated the number of deaths under two scenarios to range between 34,000 and 50,000. The Actuarial Society estimated 48 to 48,000. And then the other one uh, <coughs> by Deloitte estimates up to 41,000 deaths by December. All of these figures have also been challenged by other academics. So at the moment, they are good just to keep note of them, but they are actually open for debate amongst those who are specialists in this arena. So we can only just uh, indicate that we, we, we look at them and then we have a sense of what's happening and uh, not necessarily all what is coming from models is actually taken into account in our situation. We just take those aspects that we believe may well be important and we keep watching. We do believe that the models will improve as the time goes on and more information raw data comes from that comes from South Africa is fed onto their assumptions. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. The first supplementary goes to you, Honorable Parube. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Thank you, Minister. Um, as it has been said before, the point of the risk adjusted strategy was to ensure that we delay the peak of the pandemic while we build health system capacity. We know that we have between 3,000 and 4,000 ICU beds across the country in both the public and the private health sector. However, we're also aware that not all provinces are at the same state of readiness for these peaks. Some hospitals, <coughs> like Prey in the Buffalo City municipality, have been deemed unsafe by the Department of Labor due to growing concerns around staff safety, more so as it pertains to the availability of PPE. Then the question becomes, how have we raised the line uh, of the health system to ready ourselves for the peak of the COVID-19 infection? So how many ICU beds did we start off with as a country in both the public and the private healthcare sector? And how many new beds and related equipment has the government acquired in the past few years? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Honourable Member. The Honourable the Minister. Thank you very much. Let me say that... Uh, I couldn't be certain I had all the questions raised by the honorable member. However, I do realize she was talking about the uh, issue that was raised in the, uh, in the uh, uh, various <clears throat> scenarios about the possible uh, situation of the ICU beds. Now, just to give a sense, um, we have uh, been working on this matter. Uh, we must say that uh, the pattern that was uh, initially uh, uh, um, estimated was that we're likely to get our peak very close to July uh, in the worst case scenario, and then probably much later for the best case scenario. So all the provinces have actually prepared additional beds uh, across all the different provinces, and the numbers uh, are staggered in the sense that the first lot of beds are already in place in a number of areas. And then, of course, we've got a lead time to put up the additional beds. At the moment, the estimated number of uh, ICU beds was just over 5,000. And that number was combining both public and private. 
but we have also then uh, started looking at additional beds that are being fitted for particularly the provinces that were estimated to be uh, going to be heavily hit, mainly the Gauteng and the Western Cape. So that uh, the work we're doing uh, is actually to ensure that when there's any problem immediately, we've got an arrangement to be able to use the private hospital beds, which has already started in the Western Cape, and it's going to be like that in different parts of the country. There are issues we're still cleaning up between us and the private sector, and that is the cost of the beds, of ICU beds. But there's a team that's working on that. The availability of the PPEs has also been an issue because of the global sh shortage of supply, but we've actually ordered enough working with business for South Africa. There's quite a lot of uh, uh, you know, stock that has been brought into the country, and we do believe that the major issue now is monitoring and redistribution within a district, but the country is by and large well served with available uh, PPEs. It's just a matter of ensuring that in every hospital there is distribution if there's a shortage the other uh, part of the district should be able to make those uh, PPEs available. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. The second um, supplementary to you, Minister, is put to you by the Honorable K.L. Jacobs on the digital platform. The Honorable Jacobs. Thank you, Thank you Madam Speaker, and thank you, Minister. The many institutions which develop models about the epidemic in South Africa uh, Africans can get a better understanding of the epidemic trajectory through those models. The models also assist government to be able to prepare interventions to reduce the number of infections. Now, some common uncertainties that stand out in the models are the rate of asymptomatic infections, how infectious SARS-CoV-2 is, how effective various interventions are, and the death rate itself. The question to you is, can the models give us a false sense of security as we can only make educated guesses within the limited information to our disposal? <clears throat> thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Madam Speaker. The Honorable Member is uh, dead right. The real issue with the, with the models is the fact that uh, over these models, came in as the outbreak was moving on. So their first assumptions were a little much more wide in the sense that they took uh, models from all over the world, but they did not have direct data that was relating to what was going on in South Africa. And over the past few weeks, they've been trying to improve. Now the issue that's raised by the honorable member about us uncertainty one of the issues that's a challenge is uh, uh, the number of asymptomatic uh, uh, positive cases. Because that gives you a sense when you estimate if you find so many people with symptoms, you need to have a sense what percentage of the total number of infected people that is. It's a very difficult matter to clarify if we have not seen what the situation is in South Africa. From the experience uh, coming from different parts of the world, the number would have ranged anything from 60, uh, uh, from uh, up to maybe some, in some areas 60%. In some instances, they give you a much larger figure. In some instances, it's a much lower figure. It also does depend as well on, on the uh, level at which people with mild symptoms might actually decide to go look for assistance. 
So it's a, it's a major issue of uncertainty. It will make it difficult to be certain what the models are telling us. And that's why part of the debate has come from other, other academics has been whether we can deal with this. For example, in one case, they estimated that South Africa could have as many as 12 million people. And there was, this was raised by some, even the members of the media were questioning if the, some of the countries that are ahead of South Africa that have got much bigger population have not even gone beyond 2 million in their own population. How did they think that this would happen? So it's a very rich area of debate. Uh, the question of death, at the moment, uh, we were looking at the death rate at 1.9%. Uh, this is now, very, it varies depending on country to country, but on its own as well, <clears throat> it does depend on the nature of the testing, the accuracy of the testing, and also ensuring that uh, you know, we are able to define the issue of deaths in a particular way. So our ministerial advisory committee has now been tasked to sit down and align the definition of deaths so that uh, uh, we have got a similar uh, understanding of deaths moving from the confirmed case to cases where they suspected and in some instances posthumous uh, you know, uh, swabs that would need to be taken. So it does become a bit complicated making the uncertainty even wider. So I think the point that the member is raising is correct. So we can only say we will watch, look at the figures, and then as we get closer to reality, as we check our own daily records, we'll be able to know how reliable those models are. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. The third supplementary question will be put to you, Minister, by the Honorable Thring. Honorable Thring? By virtual platform. Uh, thank you, Honorable Speaker. Honorable Minister, the importance of the modeling and data system used for COVID-19 cannot be overemphasized. Uh, the ACDP welcomes the recent announcements by the President Ramaphosa, hopefully based on accurate modeling, uh, to remove some of the restrictions imposed on the church. Uh, a call made by the ACDP President, Reverend Dr. Kenneth Meshwe, in a letter he wrote to the presidency. In the same vein, we also salute the churches, NGOs, and other religious organizations for their <laughs> sterling work to assist the poor and the vulnerable amongst us during these trying times. Now, can the minister also give us some clarity as to what directives, health protocols, and hygiene protocols uh, and restrictions will apply uh, post the announcements of the president to ease the restrictions on worship in a carefully, carefully measured way and with regards to comorbidities, will there now be increased comorbidity reporting uh, with regards to data? Uh, thank you, uh, Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister. Thank you very much, uh, um, Madam Speaker. Indeed, the issue of uh, modeling, we uh, working closely. Uh, the point we're making is that we need to understand the limits and the limitations that are in the models you can't necessarily take everything as it stands. We need to keep a watch on it and see what uh, the worst possible scenario that are being predicted and also do everything we can to change that trajectory so that whatever is on the model needs not happen. We must also salute the uh, religious leaders for the way they have embraced the decision by the cabinet to lock down the country where they willingly were able to participate in a program to educate communities to refrain from large mass gatherings. 
that has actually assisted the country to uh, avoid a huge explosion that would have happened in the early days of the infection. For that, we're really eternally grateful to the churches, to the mosques, and to all the synagogues and all the different uh, uh, you know, faith groups, because this is one area that would have been very difficult for us, and it has really made a huge contribution in improving the, the uh, slowing down on the, on the, uh, on the uh, infection. Now, there will obviously be a number of restrictions that we, in our normal daily life, we have to put in place. In the first instance, we want to acknowledge the role of the various churches of coming forward to offer various constructive suggestions about how we can fight this disease. So we take the church and the faith-based community as partners in the fight against COVID-19, particularly to ensure social behavioral change, making sure everybody, when you leave your house, you put on a mask, and when you, uh, you know, you we frequent hand washing, sanitizers, and also ensuring a distance and keeping to the limited number of people in a place of worship, so that at the end of the day, on the day-to-day -day basis, the culture of how we behave, we hope that the church and the faith-based organizations will be in the forefront talking to people about what we need to be able to limit the spread, spread of the infection. So from that point of view, we will continue to work with uh, the faith-based uh, communities and also in the area of relief, social relief, and areas of ensuring that uh, uh, when we uh, utilize some of the facilities, if we need to expand facilities into some of the places of worship, that this is open and is acceptable, that in the way the church and the uh, religious practices are performed, there's always an understanding of the spread of the infection with frequent wiping of the tables on the pulpits and so on, so that whoever is in worship, in a place of worship, does not go home having contracted the infection. Thank you very much, uh, Madam uh, Speaker. Thank you, Minister. Your last supplementary is put to you by the Honorable Shengwa MD through virtual platform. The Honorable M.D. Klengwa. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Minister, my question is regarding the shortage of the diagnostic material has been spoken about at length. In preparation for the level three, what contingency plans have the department put in place in this regard. I thank you. Thank you very much, uh, um, uh, Madam Speaker. The issue of testing uh, has been a major, uh, you know, a weapon in our arsenal as we fight this uh, pandemic. As we speak now, South Africa has gone beyond 600,000 tests. That's quite a huge number considering that where we started we had done about 30 tests, uh, maybe 300 tests and so on. So the numbers have increased to a point where we're very close to around average of about 20,000, 18 to 20,000 tests that we do overnight. And when some of the days we exceed, some of the days were a bit less. The real thing that's hitting us <clears throat> is the issue of the shortages, uh, global shortages in the supplies. So we've actually got our South African Health Products Regulatory Authority going all out to ensure that as many as possible diagnostic uh, test kits are licensed so that uh, they are available where we can. So what we're getting a challenge is that even if it's licensed, 
we still have to go through validation processes. That is going on right now. Because I've got a similar question, I may actually give you figures a bit later. But the point at the end of the day is that we are doing everything that we can to, to ensure that we can keep to the level of uh, <clears throat> testing that we need to be able to get a sense of the positivity rate and manage the infection, particularly the issue of ensuring that whoever is positive needs to be isolated in hospital or at home, and those who are contacts must be tested and be put in quarantine, and that everyone else must know that we can actually, uh, each one of us can uh, have the, uh, can contract the infection. And so it becomes important for us to say, all that we're doing in increasing the numbers of testing uh, is constrained by uh, factors beyond our control, which is what the global supply situation is. There are some of the countries that have started to uh, focusing on it as more of the resource nationalism is taking place. So every country is looking for what we also are looking for. Lack of our internal capacity is a challenge. Uh, to, uh, uh, lack of capacity to manufacture our own uh, you know, diagnostic kits. So I think we need to invest in that as we go into the future as well. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. That was your last supplementary on this question, Minister. We are going to go back to question number 119, put by the Honorable Gungubele to the Minister of Social Development. Minister, are you fine? Minister Zulu. <clears throat> minister Zulu, if the minister is not ready, I will move to the next question. Chair, I suggest that you will find a photo of Mama's Zulu. She is breaking. Can we therefore move? Thank you. Can we move to question number 120? That question was put to the Minister of Basic Education by the Honorable Adjuans. The Honorable, the Minister of Basic Education. No, thank you very much, uh, Madam Speaker. Speaker, the, the question was about school infrastructure. So our response is that addressing school infrastructure is a continuous process that we have as a sector, and not limited to COVID-19. The different provincial education departments are currently implementing more than 2,000 projects focused on addressing water and sanitation challenges. And these projects are mainly funded from provincial education infrastructure grants. But the national department also, with the SAFE program, is also has a program to eradicate uh, infrastructure backlog through ACD. And in this regard, we have almost 854 sanitation projects underway, which, are at, at, which have reached practical completion. And currently we have 991 projects also, which are almost complete and meant to provide water. So the National Department is also assisting in er eradicating pedlar prints at schools through the SAFE program. And, this and in this regard, Contractors have been appointed and are on the ground to implement 1,076 projects. So in Lazarus provinces, the department has identified an additional number of 3,500 schools with critical water challenges 
so in compliance with the procurement processes under the state of disaster, we have entered into a, an implementation protocol with the Department of Human Settlements, Water and Sanitation, and rainwater. And under this initiative, water is being delivered at different schools to address shortages in these 3,500 schools. Thank you very much, Speaker. Thank you, Minister. The Honorable Adwans by Virtual. Uh, thank you, Honorable Speaker. Thank you, Minister, for the response. Uh, can the Minister provide a breakdown per province of the 3,500 schools identified for water tanks? And also confirm if this water tank installed in those schools. I thank you, Speaker. Thank you, ma'am. The Honorable the Minister. It's not possible to have figures of the head if they have not been asked before, because I needed to have really brought real figures. I just know that there are 3,459 in different provinces, the majority being in Popo, Eastern Cape, and KZN, but there are some schools in counting. But now to ask me to give you a breakdown of figures when I, it was not part of the question, it would be difficult to be able to respond. You are right, Minister. Honorable members should know that if they want statistical responses, they should ask the question to be in written form. Thanks for trying, Minister. The, third, the second supplementary. The second supplementary will be put to Minister by the Honorable S.S. Tembaguayo on a virtual platform. Uh, the Honorable Tembaguayo. Thank you, Speaker. Thank you, Speaker. Uh, Minister, I took it upon my soldier to verify the following facts, and then I would like you to respond on it, which are found to be true. Dalton Primary School in Gugundlobu District in KwaZulu-Natal Province, Mahumani High School in Shamavunga Circuit in Mupani East District, Ubutle Benvelo Primary School in KZN, Ujani Primary School in Limpopo Province, including Yukupem Primary School in Dikale in Limpopo Province, has had problems of lack of toilets for more than a decade. To date, nothing has been done, and you have only four days to rectify this or to improve the situation. Yet, you expect schools to reopen. Specifically, referring to Mahumani High School, which has had four classrooms blown away by the wind on the 24th of November 2019, is the same school that still has one toilet which caters for 606 learners. The school was all over the media last year. I remember your documentary. What is your urgent contingency plan within these four days that will improve? this problem minister thank you ma'am the honorable the minister because the same thing if i'm to confirm or deny i also need to go and verify the member should have given me all the questions all the names went verify with provinces and come back to him but what i know as a generic issue is that in instances where we are unable to respond and be uh, covid 19 compliant we will send temporal structures. I'm not sure if they're on their way, because I don't know which schools is talking about of the 3,000. 
But, and that's, the, that, that's one of the measures we've put in place. The other measure we've put in place, for instance, is we're phasing in opening. If there are situations which we find completely impossible for us to operate, we will transport learners to other schools. Because as I said, the health department and the National Command Center will not allow us to operate in a school which will not, which is risky for learners. So, but the specific things that were supposed to have been given time so that I check and confirm, but we have agreed with MECs on plan Bs in case plan A's are not in place by the time we want learners to go to school. On a point of order. Thank you, Minister. What is your point of order, Honorable Shibamba? Supplementary questions are not sent to the minister in advance, and you can't say that we can't ask questions that specifically relate to specific schools because we're in a press conference that all the schools are going to bring. We're bringing that up now, but these challenges in the following schools, and she says she cannot respond to that because she has given, she's, she's the one who gave an assurance that there is going to be readiness of all the schools. Also, this thing, of saying that she doesn't know, also this thing of saying she doesn't know where the schools are spread, which I've got... Right. Because, because, because the supplementary questions are not sent in advance. We yes. know. Honorable yes. Floyd, Honorable Shibambo, yes. your point is taken. The minister acknowledged that, and um, I think what needs to be done is, can you please send a written question to the minister specifically on this. But she also said, Honorable Shibambo, that where they are not compliant, those schools will not be open because they are subject to the same regulations that they expect everybody else to follow. Can we then move on to the next person who's putting a supplementary? And that person is the Honorable Jaisa. I hope this time Honorable Jaisa is in the house. Honorable Jaisa is, is Honorable Jaisa in the house. He is not. If Honorable Jaisa is not in the house, is there any other member from any other party who is able to take to make the this supplementary? The NFP. Yes. Thank you very much. Please yeah. identify yourself and go ahead. Thank you very much, Chair. I'm going to speak at it's AM Shaky Mount National Freedom Party. Minister, as much as you are telling us everything is okay at the schools and you're asking the learners to go back to school, that is not the message that we are getting from many government bodies throughout South Africa. And one ideal example is the Evergreen School, where they have highlighted and advised the department that they do not have the capacity, they do not have the manpower, they do not have the resources. But it appears this thing of sending the children back to school is being pushed down the throats of people, parents particularly, many of whom are opposing this. Can you tell us, have you taken into consideration what the health department and scientists and specialists have said in terms of social distancing with children being uh, vulnerable to the flu and we are entering the flu season now 
and then he then get infected with COVID-19. We don't know what to do with that. Do you think you're taking the right decision? Thank you, Honorable Sheikh, ma'am. The Honorable the Minister. No, Chair, we're very confident that we are taking the correct decision. We've made a case, we've explained why we've taken decisions to send children to school. In terms of social distancing, that's why we're phasing in because we don't have adequate capacity to accommodate all learners at the same time. So that's why we're phasing. So we're quite confident that we will be able to space. The other tool that was given to us is that we have to get to make sure that learners can well, everybody must wear masks that we have also put in place that we can clean surfaces at all times that children have to wash hands, but also use sanitizers. We have put that in place. So we are quite confident that in terms of the guidance that not only are we getting from our own health department, but also experts in the area, uh, Mr. Sheikh, are saying there is no reason why we must keep children at school, at home. So we've also said, because we're dealing with a very difficult environment where people are rightfully anxious, for the first time we are allowing, which is sometimes not in the law, saying to parents who are anxious, now no one is forcing anything down their throats. They must keep their children at home. So there's no one who say, bring your child to school if you're anxious. We're saying we understand that you're anxious. But on the other hand, we're saying your anxiety should not determine the future of other children whose parents do want their children to go to school. So we are supporting you to keep your child at home. We're not forcing anything down your throat, but we're saying don't stand on the way of the children and the parents who want to come to school. So those are the parents I'm speaking to you. You're speaking to the parents who feel uh, uh, that they're being forced advise them to say they must keep children in school because the parents I'm speaking to and the children that I'm speaking to also want to come back to school. And we know schools are good for children. They're playing the streets now. They are, they are fine. It can be cold when they go to school and it's warm when they are home. It can be safe when they play in the streets and it becomes extremely unsafe when they come to schools. Thank you, Minister. The last supplementary on this question will be put by the Honorable D. van der Waal through virtual platform. The Honorable van der Waal. Thank you, Speaker. Can I go? Yes, please. Yes. Well, Minister, um, your, your department is facing severe budget cuts, as we know, and it will, of course, result in severely uh, affecting many of the projects, infrastructure projects, even those that you referred to earlier today. Now, with regards to the specific 3,475 um, schools that were identified um, with critical water supply challenges, um, one would think that if you identified as critical that you'll be first on the list, that it's already started to deliver the requested either borehole. Um. Water to these 3,475 schools. If not, what was the point of uh, listing them as critical? And by when will these schools then prioritize to get water? Will it be done by 1st of June? 
Thank you, ma'am. The Honorable the Minister. Chair, so indeed, the member is correct that the current uh, challenge that we have with the virus has affected budgets. We've had to reprioritize this budget uh, as departments. We had to cut off many other things which are not necessarily critical or urgent. So there are quite a number of, 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 of of, of areas that we had to reduce. But fortunately, there are other areas which we could not implement or other programs we could not implement because of the problem. We didn't have athletics, we didn't have music. All other social projects have been brought to a halt. So those resources have been channeled to assist ourselves and provinces to prioritize programs which will make us COVID-19 compliant. So how we identify the critical schools it was, we have taken the EIG resources, which were meant for building new schools. We're taking that money to help us supplement water. As I said, we have a contract with a, a, a Department of Water and we agreed with them on on-time delivery. We didn't want to deliver water on the 4th and come back and find our tanks up, uh, 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 stolen or taken away. So what is currently happening, uh, Madam Speaker, the Department of Water, Sanitation and Provinces are busy rolling out and delivering those tanks. And it was deliberate that the deliveries will only start on the 25th of May when we are close to opening and when there's activity in schools, especially with the current violence or even a, a destruction of our infrastructure. It would have not been wise to go into schools when it was still very quiet. So now that there's activity from this Monday, we are rolling out infrastructure that we think is vulnerable, and that process is going on even over the weekend. We do expect them to have deliveries, and it was deliberate not to deliver even before the 25th to protect those assets. Thank you, Minister. Um, I have to proceed to the next question, and that is question number 140. It was put to the Minister by the Honorable M. Sheikh Imam, he is in the house. The Honorable the Minister. Thank you very much, Speaker. The Deputy Minister of Sports, Arts and Culture will take the question. Yes, DM, please proceed. Thank you very much. And thank you very much uh, to, to, the, to the Honorable Member for the question. Uh, the Legacy Trust has indicated to us that it did not receive one billion from FIFA World Cup. Rather, they had received 450 million, 762,816. And this money was paid to them in three tranches. The first amount was paid in, in 2011 in September, and the second one was paid on the 26th in September, which was 20 million, and the last one was paid on, in 2012, on the 16th of April, and it was about 170 million. Now, this amount, the total, of course, it was then paid to SAFA nationally and SAFA the regions and local SAFA. It was also used for bursaries, and it was also paid to the local football associations, and it was also used for the development through football organizations, health and, and education. But we 
the details. They have given us the full details of the breakdown, and we can submit that speaker invited. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deputy Minister. The Honorable Imam Sheikh. Thank you, Your Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you, Deputy Minister. Deputy Minister, that does not appear to be a true account of exactly what the situation is. You know that Safa is bankrupt. Hundreds of millions of rand were spent on equipment, including compressors and things, and generators and other stuff that has not been accounted for. There's been no development of sports in South Africa whatsoever. Would you consider, Deputy Minister, initiating a, an inquiry into this matter and bring in the officials and employees of SAFA to account? Leave the politicians out of it so we can see exactly where this one billion rand that was supposed to have been invested and the interest of that money was supposed to go to development and support throughout the country. And you agree with me, and it reminds me of President Zuma. Whenever Bafala Bafala scored a goal, he celebrated. It tells you there's no development of sports in South Africa at all. So can we get that detail? And would you then consider an inquiry, a commission of inquiry? Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Speaker. And thank you very much, Honorable Imam. Definitely, uh, this is public money. And we have a, a, a responsibility to account. And, and also SAFA and the past have got a responsibility to account. So with pleasure, Honorable Imam, we will look at the matter. And obviously through the portfolio committee as well in parliament, they can look at this matter. But if then what is found needs a commission of inquiry, we will consider it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deputy Minister. The second supplementary question will be put by the Honorable B.S. Madlingozi. The Honorable Madlingozi will do so by virtual platform. Thank you, uh, Speaker. Uh, Deputy Minister, we are worried that too many sport facilities are used as soccer fields but are not properly developed and were never utilized for the legacy project, like the one in NY7, Ekuglid, next to Ekuglid Sports Center Complex, and the one behind the old change of NY6. What is the criteria selecting uh, these facilities? Does the department consult the community and what is the plan of the department about these places mentioned? Thank you. Thank you, sir. The Honorable, the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Madlingozi, for that question. Uh, the, the, the stadiums uh, that you're talking about, obviously, we're talking about those that would have been funded by the, this funding from the, the Legacy Trust. And as you know, Honorable Martin, was this is an independent body which works with SAFA. It doesn't work with the department. But of, obviously, there is a relationship between us and them in terms of giving us that report. What we will then have to do, because I know you serve in the Committee of the Sports, Arts and Culture, we will provide you with the detail of what then has happened in provinces and in districts in terms of this legacy trust funding and, what, and where it was used. Thank you very much. Thank you, Deputy Minister. The Honorable Faba is in the chamber. He takes the next supplementary. The Honorable Faba. Thank you, Chair. 
Well, the years of silence, stop on CEO's Dennis Mumble, that team with a damaging report from Daniel Don involving 80 million grand of the 2010 Chief of Trust Legacy Trust. But that was supposed to further the professional development of young people in South Africa. Previously, that like that a 10 million dollar drive was paid to people officials by voting for South Africa to help this community for the trust. The next quarter, Mr. Fakir in Perula, covered up with Mr. Yordan to say it was a donation, not a drive towards the Rebecca People Union. The suitcase called the $10,000 tax of US currency was also paid to Mr. Warren Sons and Paris Hotel. By an SA high ranking official called Co Conspirator 50, is the US Attorney General outcome of FBI investigation. Co Conspirator 16, another SA high ranking official, was implicated with Mr. Warren Sons and Rightly for the money laundering. My question is how are you, who are these two conspirators? If you know, will you name the names or will you get it from the US Attorney General and present it to this Parliament and investigate this crime? I did not hear. I couldn't. I tried to listen. I couldn't get it at all. I also did not hear. Honorable Mtembu, um, mute your mic. Mute your mic. You're not being Honorable Faber, can I ask you to repeat? Honorable Faber. Yes, yes, yes. Can you hear me now, Who are these two conspirators in the FBI report that was... Can Honorable Faber remove the, the, the mask, please? We can't hear anything. Um, Honorable Zekias, I suppose you were the one who interjected. Please mute your mic. Honorable Faber, you are on the floor. Who are these two conspirators in the FBI report? And if you don't know, will you get their names from the U.S. Attorney General and present it to this Parliament and investigate this bribe that was paid to FIFA officials through this Diaspora Legacy Fund, which was covered up as a government director by the then Minister of Sport, Kikiri Murula. You get it. The Honourable the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Speaker. I... I could catch part of the conspirators and the, and the inquirer, but I couldn't get the whole. Uh, I would suggest and I would ask humbly if Honorable Faber can probably present that question in writing and then we can be able to respond in writing because I think it is a question that is very important, but I can't hear him properly right now. Order, members, order. Honorable Faber, Honorable Faber, you, the, the mics in the house. Anyone can be heard except me apparently when I ask relevant questions. Honorable members, Honorable members, Honorable Faber, it is very difficult to hear what you were saying. I. I would suggest that we either have it in writing or we try and get a new question from you on the same issues the next time. 
Who is addressing you? Who is addressing you? Hello? Identify yourself, please, honorable member, and address. Yes, please proceed. This is the question can be summed up in one sentence. Who is co-conspirator 15 and 16? Maybe this microphone is clearer than this. Madam Speaker, that the question must be put to me next time in, in, in another form. Yes, and, and that question, Honorable Faber, or the members, order. That question, Honorable Faber, will not lose the elements you are wanting to follow. All the shenanigans that the assets happened and the cover -up. We move to the last supplementary. That supplementary. No, all the members. Trust assisted in the shaping and transformation of soccer in this country. The Honorable the Deputy thank Minister. Uh, thank you very much, Speaker. One of the reasons why uh, we had agreed to host the World Cup in 2010 was to make sure that we are able to have the legacy that can go as far as, as the rural areas that normally wouldn't benefit. If you listened to the quiet and 60 million that I had spoken about, that was given to us by FIFA. The majority of that money has gone to the district and regional uh, football associations to make sure that we are able to have soccer reaching out to as far as possible. Of course, how then the effect of that happens depends on the members of the house to be able to do that oversight so that we can be able to see and be able to say, yes, indeed, from what we have posted, 
the benefit has been on the ground. But the reports that we had received from the district and from SAFA itself, the hosting has actually helped to make sure that we had the legacy has moved to as far away people as possible. Thank you very much, Stephen. Thank you, Deputy Minister. Towards the end, you were breaking, so I hope that uh, the members heard you. Um, thank you, Deputy Minister. Honorable members, we are moving on to question number 121. It was put to the Minister of Health by the Honorable A. Gela. The Honorable the Minister. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Question 121 put by Honorable Keller. <clears throat> he asked about what are the factors determining and the reasons for specifically pointing at certain declaring parts of the country uh, as centers of COVID-19 infections and what work has been done by the department in relation to containment strategies. The first response is that uh, these determining factors <coughs> uh, would be as follows. Any geographic area which has recorded five or more positive cases per 100,000 population during a period under consideration is labeled as an epidemiological hotspot. This is informed by the weekly rate of change in the percent uh, active positive cases per 100,000 population per geographic area. Two epidemiological uh, hotspots may occur because of importation of the COVID-19 virus into geographic areas or due to community transmission. Three epidemiological hotspots require that monitoring of the number of actual cases is undertaken and not only just the proportion of infections per population. For an epidemiological hotspot may include a ward, a sub-district or a cluster of wards, a district and or a metropolitan region. On the week of the 16th to the 22nd of May 2020, the following districts and metropolitan municipalities had five or more active positive cases per 100,000 population. One was the city of Tswane, in the sorry, the city of uh, city of Cape Town, in metropolitan municipality in Western Cape, at 117.2 cases per 100,000. Buffalo City, in the Eastern Cape, at 43.5 cases per 100,000 population. Nelson Mandela Bay municipality, in the Eastern Cape, at 26.1 cases per 100,000. Cape Winders District municipality. In the Western Cape, at 22.2 cases per 100,000. Ilembe in KwaZulu Natal, at 21.3 per 100,000. In the Chris Hani District Municipality in the Eastern Cape, at 13.6 cases per 100,000. Eguru Metropolitan Municipality, at 13.2 cases per 100,000. Etebwini, Metropolitan uh, metropolitan municipality at 12.1 cases per 100,000. West Coast District municipalities in the Western Cape at 10.6. Overbeck District in Western Cape at 9. At Garden Root uh, District at, at, uh, in Western Cape at 5.4. City of Johannesburg 
in Gauteng at 5.3, River Tambo at five uh, pay cases of uh, 100,000, and Mangaung at five as well. In some of the hotspots, cluster outbreaks have been identified, and these have occurred in the settings such as factories, supermarkets, and farms, and other processing areas. Uh, the second question, work has been done by the department in relation to the containment strategies to address the exponential rise in the COVID-19 in specified areas. The department is undertaking active surveillance in the epidemiological hotspots through special monitoring. Action range from screening, testing uh, people by scaling up uh, as, uh, scale, uh, testing, and uh, of course, uh, as the tests become available, testing in healthcare facilities increased and other areas uh, where we're investigating outbreaks. We prioritize them. Quarantine facilities have also been mobilized for people under investigation. Provinces have been urged to continue to identify quarantine sites, accommodate positive patients or, or contacts so that uh, any, anyone who's not in a position for self-quarantine. Each province has established tracing teams and full-time uh, full teams of experienced personnel, including epidemiologists, family practitioners, nurses, community health workers, laboratory public health experts, EMS have been dispatched to the epidemiological hotspots. These will be supported by the Cuban and national department experts and also those from the military health services and NICD and NHLS. Fever clinics have also been established to ensure that there's triaging of visits in the health facilities and systems have been put in place to manage staff exposed to infections, including the availability of the PPEs, the protective, personal protection equipment. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. We allowed you to take a little bit longer because you also dealt with Your first supplementary will be from the Honorable Gela to virtual platform. Uh, thank you, Madam Speaker. Minister, over the weekend, we saw the deployment of Cuban doctors to one of the hotspot provinces, the Western Cape. How will the work of the Cuban doctors strengthen the health response in the province to ensure the epidemic is contained and for us to start seeing a reduction in the higher numbers of positive cases, particularly in the Western Cape? I thank you, Madam Speaker. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Indeed, we are very grateful for the support of the Cuban doctors who have come all the way from Cuba. We have almost 217 of them who have joined us in South Africa to give us the reinforcement. And uh, over the weekend, they were distributed to all the provinces. And indeed, there's a, a, a group of 28 who have been dispatched to the Western Cape. I must say that they've been highly, warmly re received. Uh, you'll see in some of the photos where the uh, staff and the uh, MECs were actually receiving them. The, they are coming to reinforce the work that's being done by the team in the Western Cape. And I must say, this team in the Western Cape are doing their best to try and contain the, uh, infect, the infection, the outbreak, and therefore they would be focusing on uh, the public health side, focusing on sub-districts and the, uh, the metro in the Western Cape, in, in Cape Town, has been 
uh, subdivided into about eight zones where they would be getting teams focusing uh, and into a catchment area of a cluster of wards. And so these teams are already in place. Right now, they've been deployed to go into the field hospitals so that they can assist in the management of the patients who have already been triaged and are being put aside to, to, uh, for the uh, treatment of uh, COVID-19. We remain very grateful for the support. We also are very pleased to see that they are seamlessly being integrated to the teams in the Western Cape. A lot of work is going on in the Western Cape and we are giving lots of support and reinforcement because South Africa has to contain the pandemic in the Western Cape if we must succeed everywhere else. We need to stop the rapid increase in Western Cape so that we can use the experience to go to other parts of the country. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. The second supplementary is by the Honorable E. Sukas on the virtual platform. Thank you, Speaker. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Speaker. Honorable Minister. Dealing with inequity in hospital services across the health platform, our poorer, crowded areas are going to be hardest hit and overwhelm their drainage hospitals. How will we ensure that a sick person or sick patient needing a bed will get a bed regardless of where they live? Is there a standard decision-making tool that all clinicians will use to decide which patients get what level of care and how will those decisions need to change as resources get more stretched? Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. The Honorable the Minister. Thank you very much, Madam Speaker. Let me indicate indeed that there are constraints in our health systems, but that uh, the President has announced additional resources to assist us to augment the additional uh, needs that we have uh, uh, de decided upon. So uh, every province is now increasing the numbers of beds, putting up field hospitals uh, in stadiums, in exhibition centers, and also putting up uh, <clears throat> old uh, facilities that could have been derelict, have been renovated. So additional beds are being made available. We have had uh, additional uh, human resources uh, being employed so in the Cape, Western Cape, they've employed over 800 nurses in the past two, 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 two weeks. And uh, Eastern Cape has done the same, almost uh, just under 1,000 nurses, uh, because we see the need. We have also made a call to say the doctors who are unemployed, who are registered with the Medical, uh, and with, with the medical Council or South African Health, Pro uh, Health Professions Council, should come forward so that we can increase our... Um, uh, um, our human resources. So we want to guarantee that everyone will receive care on the basis of need, not on the basis of means. And as we go along, we'll make sure that everyone follows the protocols, the ministerial advisory committee, together with the specialist team and the clinical society of the uh, department are looking at all the protocols that will determine what treatment each person gets, not as to whether anybody will be judged on basis of whether they can afford or not afford. It will not be possible to, uh, to deny anyone any assistance just because they are poor. That will make sure it does not happen. Thank you very much. Thank you, Minister. The third supplementary question 
is taken by the Honorable Mkwankwa. It's in the shape Oh, yes, yes. Thank you very much, uh, Speaker. I think the key issue here, Minister, is being able to juggle resources for differentiation of things uh, in the inspection space. So that's why we respond appropriately. But the problem, Minister, would your provinces like the Eastern Cape, Apple, or now once would you want to get the same positive? Almost like a death sentence. That is what we're going to achieve. Other people they go and test as soon as they are quarantined in a facility, once to pass, no other market, so the pass, that was the same. There are many of those instances. Even yesterday, I was on the call about the different cases. It happened along the line of what happened in my hand. The department, the get everything but i got some semblance of issues he was raising i can respond to them but if uh, honorable Kwangwa is not satisfied he can send a, a question in writing but for well, there are but a few things which i've heard which i think i can comment on yes because he is he kept on breaking so please proceed uh, the first issue uh, Madam Speaker, relates to the challenges of resources in various provinces with regional uh, um, uh, inequities. Those are realities that we accept and we concede to. Uh, we will be sitting to, seeking to uh, support any part of the country where there's a district where we can see that it needs additional assistance. Uh, we are in daily contact with all the provinces, the embassies, and the heads of departments to make sure that uh, when we pick up any shortages uh, in our own system, we actually intervene to get them to, to be assisted. A few weeks back, I landed in the Eastern Cape and realized some of the challenges with the PPEs. I actually stepped out to get uh, an immediate uh, reinforcement of additional PPEs to support the MEC when she had indicated her constraints in the, in the matter. We were able to also deal with the challenges that she had faced in the employment of some of the professionals, and all of those were solved. So what the honorable member is talking about are issues that we do acknowledge do exist, and when they get pointed out, we really do everything to try and resolve them. The other issue relates to the challenges on quarantine. Uh, here, again, we have... Uh, worked very closely with the province to make sure that they provide uh, ad adequate numbers of beds to quarantine, a number of people who need to be quarantined. And in that regard, we do also realize a number of people who uh, have got lots of anxiety that will actually not want to 
subject themselves to quarantine really out of anxiety and fear. I've got uh, stories of people who have got into taxis, drove away to the nearby town because they didn't want to be quarantined. This is a matter of uh, information that we need to share so that people do not fear uh, uh, quarantine as such. And the <laughs> COVID-19 coronavirus. Abatulagala <laughs> the The 
Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable uh, Madam Speaker. The Honorable Member has pointed out an issue that we have tried to correct. I think we should state cut quite categorically that uh, at the high speed at which we are working, some such uh, uh, errors may happen. It is not more about what the error is more than the fact that we correct it as soon as we point it out. Now, the issue of the uh, announcement by the president stands. The whole country is moving to level three, and the whole country is moving to level three. Then the hotspots have also been identified as part of what we call the differentiated approach. In this manner, we have actually identified three possibilities. The first possibility are areas which we call low transmission areas, where the transmission of the virus is recorded as five, less than five uh, positive cases uh, per 100,000. And in which case we have an approach where we say, here we have vigilance, surveillance, where we encourage behavioral change, but we also ensure that uh, those districts must identify and find cases as soon as possible, isolate and uh, quarantine the contacts. And in the process, make sure that we keep the mortality low, make sure that we keep the case numbers low, make sure that we reduce the level of the spread of the infection. Secondly, the areas which we have called the hotspots, I've just defined what hotspots will be. It is true that yesterday, uh, I did not say that the uh, uh, hotspots will remain at level, four, at level four, but the slide was uh, actually an old slide that I do regret that it got uh, uh, included in the, in the uh, preparation for the presentation. But having spotted it out, we just want to make clear that the difference between the uh, uh, hotspots and the other areas is that we are putting up intensive health interventions of experts, permanent teams that are just described in the area question, and also ensuring that in those particular areas, we keep an option where there would be additional containment measures and restrictions when necessary to reduce the rate of the infection, that those will be considered. Having said so, therefore, I think it's important to indicate that uh, yesterday's uh, slide uh, should have been corrected, and we did send a letter, a, a statement out to correct it. So, we should accept it that there is no problem, but if there is a challenge, we should resolve it and over and above it, there will be. Abasobebengena Minister, Honorable 
us. We move on Honourable to question speaker. number 194. Honorable Speaker. Honorable Singh, a point yeah, of I order. My, yeah, I raised my hand there, ma'am. I'd like to know if the Minister of Social Development is available to take the earlier question. It'll be, yeah, be a real pity if the only member of mine in the House will be unable was, to ask a follow-up question. <clears throat> Thank you. I sent out a, um, a, the same question, Honorable Singh. I have not yet been given the response whether technical problems have been solved or not. And that is why we've been moving on. Um, we will come back to you before the end of this thing with a response on that one. In the meantime, we are taking question number 194, Honorable Minister of Health. It was put to you by Honorable Farube and Minister, you have the floor. Thank you very much, uh, Madam Speaker. The question from Honorable Kwahube. Uh, is referring to the national targets of tests, 17,000 to 30,000 per day, and the response is as follows. <clears throat> to date, more than, to date, more than 596,000 tests have been conducted in South Africa during the first week of the response, which was the 2nd to the 8th of March. We, the average was around 35 tests done per day. During the past four weeks, the average number of tests done per day have increased to 15,756. While there's a need for increased testing, the current laboratory capacity is constrained by global demand for test kits, which has resulted in the shortages in South Africa, especially in the extraction kits. <clears throat> in addition, the lack of uh, aircraft uh, movement, which are allowed to fly out of the countries that are manufacturers of these kits means that the su supply can be erratic. As more kits become more available uh, in a consistent manner, the number of tests done per day will increase because we do have capacity to be able to do as much as the target that we had set. In addition, as soon as the serological antibody tests are validated and approved by SAPRA, uh, South African Health Products Regulatory Authority, these tests can be then used to assess the prevalence of the virus, that is the number of people who are infected at some point and now carry antibodies. Currently, the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority has licensed an additional 20 PCR testing kits. That's in the past two weeks. It's the fastest ever number of uh, uh, approvals that they've done, and that is because they wanted to make sure that we get as much access as possible. Those tests are now awaiting validation, and therefore that's where the delay is in increasing those. The others that are already validated, the delays are caused by the global shortage, which I've referred to above. SAPRA has also licensed another six tests, which are serological antibody tests. These are also awaiting validation. In total, SAPRA has examined almost 50 products in, in a, at a really high rate, at a fast pace, in order to ensure we've got adequate supplies uh, of diagnostic kits. I've also attached a table, uh, Honorable Madam Speaker, which uh, we will send to the members, just to indicate that we are not very far off from the target on the week of the, on the day, uh, these are 24 hour numbers now. 
On the 19th of, of May, we did 18,000 tests. Uh, on the 20th, we did 18,786. On the 21st, we did 17,458. On the 22nd, we did 21,000. And on the 23rd, it was 19,000. Uh, on the 26th, we did 21,000. The figures that we'll release today will also show a much higher figure. This is to also indicate that we have done everything that was necessary to increase the numbers of tests as based on the targets that were set. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Honorable uh, Madam Speaker. Thank you, Minister. The Honorable <clears throat> Thank you, Madam Speaker. I'm glad, Minister, that we're exploring alternative means to be able to ramp up our testing over and above what we've been able to have. And I agree with you, we have seen a steady increase. But experts in the field, Minister, including the World Health Organization, have made it clear that testing, tracking, and tracing is a crucial element to the fight against COVID-19. Delays in obtaining test results hampers the health system's ability to be able to track and trace and isolate those <laughs> and to help those who need medical attention quite quickly. As you know, a typical example of somebody who tests uh, COVID-19 and lives in a house where it's impossible to isolate, if it takes them a week to get um, their, their test back, it means that they could very well be infecting others in, in that Considering that there are international challenges which you've referred to, which obviously are over and above what you are able to do, um, it means that then we have to think very carefully about what cluster outbreaks have been done and have been doing in this country. We saw right at the beginning of this On one of the basis was the, was the resumption of religious gatherings made the minister considering what we know about cluster outbreaks and what they can do. The Honorable the Minister. <clears throat> May I ask that the Honorable Member not repeat the whole thing, just the last question because that's the part I just didn't get. I got most of what you are saying. On what basis, if you can just start on that. On what basis? Remember, just the supplementary. Yes. On what basis have we made the decision to resume religious gatherings, considering what we know about cluster outbreaks in provinces when it comes to COVID nineteen? <clears throat> there you are, Minister. Thank you very much, uh, and thanks to the honourable member. Indeed, what the honourable member has stated. It is true the WHO has insisted that we need to find, identify, uh, and test people who are positive and then put them into isolation and that make sure that all those who are uh, uh, contacts <clears throat> that get, get, get taken into quarantine. That delays do affect, in this case, the question of uh, early management. Uh, but let me say that what we have discussed because of some of the challenges that we are finding where there are certain constraints, we have actually discussed with the various provinces now, particularly the Western Cape, that we need to balance between a, 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 a PCR test and a clinical diagnosis so that we are able to manage without necessarily being constrained by the availability of the test. 
I think that there's another issue that's going to become important as we move into the future. On most of the cases, the decision as to whether the person has got COVID-19 or not is a clinical decision that the doctor may actually utilize. So we're going through the uh, improvement on the guidelines so that the delays in the test will not con uh, compromise the treatment of the individual or even uh, the uh, ability to contain the infection. So we are looking at that issue. Now, the question on the, ch on the churches and the, and the um, uh, 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 concession onto opening, this is based on the fact that uh, when COVID-19 uh, was diagnosed, we had actually asked that there should be a reduction of meetings and uh, we put up a number of containment measures. Uh, in this case, we had actually said that with the churches, uh, there would not be more than 50 people. With the funerals, same, uh, there would not be more than 50 people. But over the past few weeks with the lockdown, we everything, now, once we start resumption of uh, activities, we need to understand that there is a problem of uh, uh, economic activities that have to be resumed. There's also issues of social activities, which are very critical for some of the people's lives, particularly the aspect of uh, spiritual ministering, the area of uh, supporting people spiritually, psychological counseling, that becomes very important. And so when you uh, move forward, you do understand that uh, we will be having this COVID-19 for the next year or two, and therefore it would be impossible to actually say there's no um, a, a religious activity that would be allowed. So in, the, const, in, the, in the, the cause of all of this, we have actually got uh, protocols that are being now developed based on the cooperation and consultation with the, with the religious leaders, where they will be part to ensuring that the behavioral change is, is, is improved. Now, if you compare that uh, and compare with the situation that actually arose in the Western Cape, we had a problem where uh, people in the shops uh, just, uh, you know, found in one shop, 25 people were positive, in another shop, 30, 40 people were positive. Now, the key issue is more about how do we bring in the culture of uh, of uh, 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 you know, containment of uh, distancing, of using masks and so on. This is what I think we need to focus upon, ensuring that uh, even in funerals, people are aware of what they need to do to avoid the infection. And therefore, even with the churches, it's the same issue. In a number of areas, we've got mines where hundreds and hundreds, thousands of miners are actually being allowed to go back. Uh, you cannot say it's difficult to bring in 50 people to church or to a synagogue, but it is possible to, you, to bring uh, 30, uh, to, to 2,000 people to a mine. I think that balance needs to understand there's a degree of fairness in trying to balance the social and economic issues. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. The second <laughs> Minister will be taken by the Honorable Mostala to virtual platform. Thank you, Speaker. I'll be taking it on behalf of Mothala. It's not Lady Chiroya. Please proceed, ma'am. Minister, in the UK, race-based stats um, were able to bring to the force that black people were four times most likely to die from coronavirus than white people. And in the US, race-based stats were able to expose the divide when it comes to access to health care. And then in Canada, race-based stats were used 
preempt and predict hotspots. Unfortunately, we have not received such a great uh, breakdown of in South Africa. Can the minister please kindly give us the numbers? We want the racial breakdown as it's just as important as geographic. <laughs> we want the racial breakdown of how many black people are infected, how many have died, how many white people are infected with coronavirus, and how many have died. Thank you. Honorable the minister. Thank you very much. Uh, well, um, honorable minister, I'm, I'm sorry about that interruption. Yes, I'm sorry about that interruption. <clears throat> Let me say that uh, the issue of uh, uh, the spread of COVID-19 is a lot more about the conditions. Uh, social conditions uh, under which people live, if there's distancing, if there are issues of, uh, you know, um, um, uh, distancing, if people are able to use masks and so on. Those issues are critical uh, insofar as the cause of the, the, the spread of the infection. If you look all over the world, there's no country now that has not suffered the uh, the infections, the COVID-19. Actually, 213 countries have got the infection. Along in all of these countries, the infection goes to literally everyone, irrespective of the racial composition of that particular country. What we have seen has been the factors that are important. <clears throat> it's more the question of comorbidities, and it's also the access Point of to order, quality health services. <laughs> And all question of the access to uh, uh, health services, therefore, when the quality, those uh, honorable minister, actually... honorable minister, please hold on. Honorable chief, the minister is responding to your question. What is no, your point speaker, of order? I my question was simple you want numbers, how many black people have no, 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 honorable chief, how many have died? No, Honorable Chirwa, you want a... This was done with HIV, it's done with Honorable it's done with other illnesses. Why not? Honorable Chirwa, your mic will be muted because you put a question, a question which, in fact, if, if anything is being attended to and you interrupt the response to your own question, that is out of order. Minister, please conclude. So the issue of uh, quality of uh, health services and equitable access is a big factor in this infection and other diseases. Now, in the case of the US and the UK, it is linked to the uh, black people suffering most and uh, mainly many of them being in a, a, a part of the high rate of, uh, of mortality. It is largely linked to the fact that their living conditions, their access to health care is compromised. And therefore, in any country where people have got a problem of inequality, that will become a factor. We haven't done all these figures on racial terms. When this infection started, we never put any racial tags onto it. We've not put it either this way. However, we do recognize that the issues of our inequality, poverty, unemployment, comorbidities, other infectious diseases, all of those are multiple factors that will affect people, particularly when it comes to those who are in overcrowded situation, 
amongst which uh, many black people are in this country. So at the end of the day, the issue of the pattern of morbidity would not be necessarily different with other countries, but at the, at the moment, we haven't put all of those figures up based on a racial uh, um, a classification. The, the issue at the end of the day, there are many factors that are important, and a lot of those factors would affect uh, black people as well, but uh, we have a lot of factors that we have taken into account. And as we approach the uh, management of these diseases, we are taking all of that into account that those who are poor, those who have got access challenges, and those where the rapid spread of the infection has been identified, those who have uh, uh, challenges with access to health services must be supported to make sure that their conditions do not necessarily translate to a, a, a poor access to health services. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. <coughs> Minister, the third step on a point of order. On a point of order. On a point of order, the Honourable Floyd. What's your point yes. of order? Yes. Well, raised, the, the Minister has been giving statistics in terms of the age and the areas where the people have been affected <laughs> by the coronavirus. What is difficult with giving us the racial composition? So that we can be a proper analysis. We have written a letter Honorable to you. Your point is not sustained. Please. Can, can we be given a clear response of how Honorable many black Floyd, people? Your point is not sustained. I have ruled for this question. That mic must That's be muted question. now. <clears throat> Honorable Floyd, Honorable Chirwa, the question was put. The minister has responded to this question. He has actually said towards the end of his response that he, they did not necessarily look at the numbers which will distinguish infections from black and white. If you want those numbers, ask that minister to come back to you on a specific racially differentiated um, infection rate. Well, that you are ruled out of order. And that mic of yours will be Muted. Well, can we proceed can to I come the in? next subsequent and the Honourable Singh on the floor? Thank, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Uh, uh, the speaker, uh, on a point of order. No, I'm not taking any other point of order on the last supplementary. I'm very sorry. Uh, uh, speaker, you will have I am not taking any supplementary on this one. Let me explain something, Madam Speaker. Make sure that members got answers. You can't just shut us down like that. Because the answers were given, Honorable Mkhadibi. Because on a, on a point of says, no, no, point of order is not sustained, Honorable Ndlozi. I'm on the floor. You have to hear it first before you dismiss it, Speaker. No, Can I let me finish what I'm saying. You cannot interject okay. when I'm speaking. I am on the chair. Okay, Chair. Can, Honorable Mkhadibi, Honorable I did not sustain the question. The point of order of Honorable Floyd Chambo, because that response was given, he was simply adding on to what the Honorable Chiro, who did not even wait until the end of the response to her supplementary question was made. <coughs> so I'm not wanting to entertain any other supplementary or a supplementary. Because that will be out of order. Honorable Minister, I don't know what you want to say, but I've closed this. 
I want to go to the next supplementary, and that is the Honorable C. Speaker, what uh, is the Speaker, if you are not going to allow members to ask the executive? Because, because Honorable Kalipe, the rules governing the question sessions apply, whether you are in, in, in COVID-19 situation, in the house, virtual, or whatever. You allow a response to be given. If you are not happy with that response, there are other ways you deal with it. You do not house the minister. You do not bombard the minister. You allow that to happen. Honorable Ndlozi, you said you have a point of order. I will listen to you now. Uh, thanks, Speaker. You see, it is this attitude that made you be complicit when Marikana was okay of refusing to press out proper information from those in order. On a point of order. On a point of order, Speaker. Statistics of race on speaker and HIV. Why are you not giving statistics of race when it comes to COVID-19? Speaker, on a point of order. What do people are doing now? On a point of order. Complicity of the people. That's what's happening even now. On a point of order. On a point of order. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I have nothing to do with Marikana. The provinces have no jurisdiction in mining, and therefore you cannot even drag my name into the state. Honorable Singh, you have the floor. Oh. Honorable Singh. Honorable Singh. It seemed that the host had muted me as well, but I, I think I'm, you can hear me now, Honourable Speaker. Yeah, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. Uh, firstly, we'd like to compliment the Honourable Minister for the leadership that he's shown uh, ever since COVID-19 pandemic emerged uh, on our shores. But having said that, uh, Honourable Chairperson, and he said that COVID is here for one or two years, so we're in for a long haul. I'm a bit concerned that uh, reports suggest that the National Health Laboratories are using certain manufacturers of these test kits only, and that hampers the availability to get test kits here. So having said that, what are we doing to accelerate the manufacture of test kits in our own country so that we can provide economic opportunities and employment for people that require it? because we have to have our own product, and I understand it would take time to validate that. But what is going to be done, Minister, to accelerate that process? Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Madam, Madam Speaker. Um, I, I didn't want to get into the issue, but uh, there is a separate question that uh, is being processed, which has been asked by the EFF, which is exactly the question that the Honourable Member interposed on top of a different question. It's a separate question which is being, is being worked on. So what they've just raised now is a two questions 
asking one question and then went to ask another question, which is on the on, on a paper. The question that uh, is raised by Honorable Singh, there is no favoring of a particular company. It's a matter of which company has got kits that are available. It's a matter of which kits we can actually get access to. We are currently even evaluating kits that have come from Korea, from, uh, from uh, uh, Russia. We will take uh, kits from any part of the country as long as they can be licensed properly and they can be uh, made, uh, uh, they can be validated so that we know how to what to expect out of those uh, results. Having said so, it's an issue that is under discussion in terms of what capacity we can get uh, to build in the country to be able to get our own sense of self-sufficiency on various uh, uh, kits that are, that, that, uh, are possible. So we have to now uh, uh, liaise with various companies to try and get them to be in South Africa to manufacture those. At the same time, we're aware that there are some initiatives that we have discussed in cabinet around what CSIR is trying to, to do to get us to a point where we could find some kids that we can make available for ourselves. So the search for uh, our own internal capacity will continue and will certainly support it. And we believe that uh, the lessons from uh, COVID-19 has been that not only on diagnostic sets, but on uh, pharmaceutical products, on uh, uh, PPEs or pro protective uh, equipment, personal protective equipment, all of these we need to make sure that uh, we've got our own capacity in the country. When we looked at the stocks available in the country, we were shocked to discover that uh, uh, only 10% is manufactured inside the country. So some work now has to focus on increasing our own capacity so that should a similar situation arise in the future, we are able to sustain ourselves through our own manufacturing capacity. Thank you. Thank you, Minister. The last supplementary will be put to you by the Honorable Dr. Domo. Thank you very much, Honorable. Thank yes. you very much, Honorable Speaker. The Department of Health has, note, has noted that the passive case finding contributes 76% of all tests conducted to date, meaning that patients who have symptoms have presented themselves to the health facilities for testing. Despite the global shortage of the test kits, the number of tests conducted by the Department of Health is commendable. Of course, we note that there's also been a contribution from the public sector. Honorable Lomo, can you just repeat that part? Yeah, 
Bakona number like Kaya, ending is in Africa, and I'm Roshan Babai, those Thing Banga Rana Navana, so listen to this eating or as well and Gangla Yalon Kushan or Covid nineteen. Umas Balas, Toluguti, Kubantu, and Dueni Ezi, my present day, Kulu, Ishum Pella, El Tolagalayo, Lama present El Tolagalayo, Lapening is in Africa. Loko was niggers, I go to Alogutik Sok Fanele, Sikrini Seglava was in Africa with one of our Kikuzayo. Imiti, noma izinziza zogu wenza matesto kshola kshole malaboratory noma labo abapegene ne zimbasha zogu mbata zogu nzuguti kufigelege uti tukunanunga sulelege kulowo o shenga loko kukonke kukombu uti kula ababa sendingize mafriku kukonke abanako sizogwazi kusiptenge kodwa indebalulekile manje ukukhulisa izimboni zokukhiqiza kulabo kakhulukazi abaseningizimu Afrika sivule food netubal lokuthi mabande nabo somabhizinisi abamnyama okuyibona abebekade bengekho emathubeni kuso soke lesikhathi nabo kucaca ukuthi kulomkhankaso nabo banegqaza abambayo ukuthi babe nezinto abazozikhiqiza babe nezinto ezozithenga kubo Owamanji in Nani El Cool is in this is Chengayo, since Chenga Gubandus Babiza Mobuti or middlemen over by a supplier one of our chat of Wamanyamas or Bonk, Nakoge, Ogunya with Zinos or Essence Pegin Wooty, Kube Corner, Ugu, Ukuga, Wissimosom Norton, with Babe and Yang Lane, Nabam Yam and Old Summer Business of Angan, Yogutu Corner Babas Wuzuza, Ulolushan, Ezinus in this is seven Zayo, Wotra. Sifundi se okulu le sifo so COVID uguti singa yegeleli uguti izwe liguazi uguzenzela ugningi liogtinga msha simostagile mba na msha nje amazo ashugeni asefun uguti akoshele nga guoni ama imshine sise bensayo yogwenza matesti South Africa kakulgazi kamwe meliga maje meligi vele avari so stina sizwa elinyi femu elakiwe esese sweden na koge sese zamukpegage Ugutu obana bakona basi shaina, abasi rashia, abasi korea. Gaika ugutu mabeso wazguz mela, abe na mshanja skali kakulu. Ukogonke lugu sitinga kulesifu. Kakokumbuzo wako uiwono uguti. Ufanele sipege nga le kwesifu sipegu uguti. Izwe liya wazi nukuzinza mguz mela. E nituwe nilapukuzo baniti uguzi pamini. Masta wa hezi fista gile jengalisi ya bongo. Thank you very much, the Minister. The Honourable Ndombela will take over on the next question. Thank you. Honourable Ndombela. Thank you, Madam Speaker. The next question is question number 163, which has been asked by the Honourable N. V. Mente to the Minister of Basic Education. The Honourable Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. 
There are questions about the delivery of text to schools. So the answer is the pre-tender estimated for the supply and delivery and complete installation of the 5,010 water tanks and for the 1,420 taps for drinking purposes was at about 280 million. And due to the agency of supplying water to occasioned by COVID-19 emergency, the Department of Basic Education decided to participate in the procurement arrangements between the Department of Human Settlement, Water and Sanitation and Rainwater in accordance with the National Tre Treasury Instruction Number 5 of 2020-2021. Read the Treasury Regulations 16.8.6 and 16.8.6 as well as the National Treasury Practice Note of 2007-2008. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Paulson, who is replacing Honorable Mente through the visual platform. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Minister. Minister, uh, excluding such as those schools in Makanya Kuri District in thanks for delivering and just left on the ground, and there are no water. And I really hope that the, if I've missed some other question, the member will assist me if I've missed some parts of the question because I didn't catch everything else. As I said, because it says there's no water, water is going to be brought by water tankers. All we had to do is in the first phase was to deliver those water tanks, install the taps. Again, I'm repeating the point that it had to be on time delivery because I'm going to put taps. By the time we go to those schools, those steps are not there. So the water will start being filled in over the weekend by the tankers. And that's the arrangement we had with the uh, Department of Water Affairs. So that's what I heard. But the other things I didn't hear, because you said maybe tanks were lying there. When tanks arrive, they have to be installed. So it's another team installing the tanks. So if they were not installed, so which means the team installing may not have arrived. So you first deliver the tanks, install them, and then fill them with water. That's what I was, that's what I understand. But I am sorry that the, the members questioned fully. It was not very clear, so I'm sorry I didn't hear properly. Uh, thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Paulson, I'm sure that covers your question. Although to you were not audible enough, I think the Minister has tried to level best. Gee. But Gee. yes, Honorable. Paulson? Chair, I, I also asked the minister the unit cost per tank. Okay, thank you, Honorable Minister. 
<laughs> the question says, what is the pre-tender estimation for the supply, delivery, and complete installation of the 5,000 tanks? And I said it's 280 million. So if you divide this, it will be in the ranges of 10,000 per tank. So that's the answer that I can give you if you want now details per tank, because even the price, we have an overall price. The price is going to be determined by distance, how many uh, taps are, are there, but the distance also influences what a tank delivered in Gauteng will not be the same price as the tank delivered in Shawiyalingan. Those also determine the different pricings in terms of uh, the, the cost of the, what it will cost us uh, to, to purchase a tank. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, the next, the second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable S. Wangwa from the Chamber. I'll cover Chair the last question. I'll cover please. Take that question, Chair President. Honorable Kwangwa, I did not hear you clearly. What did Honorable Kwangwa say? I'm saying the cost breakdown, the response to the cost breakdown answered my question because that was our interest. We will follow up with another question in writing about the other details that we want to, we want to say cost per unit because we don't want estimates and that is the information that the minister unfortunately cannot provide at this point. Thank you, Honorable Nkwankwa. There's a, a, a complete breakdown. Uh, the complete breakdown, I cannot hear you, but I say it's covered. But uh, if you are covered, uh, you are covered that, that is, it's okay. Then we will go to the first supplementary question uh, asked by the Honorable Adiwela. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and thank you, Minister. Of the expected number of tanks and water taps deliveries, do you, perhaps, Minister, have an idea of what percentage, uh, percentage have been delivered and installed in schools to date? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. So, Chair, as I've indicated, that we had ordered 5,000 tanks with more than 43,000 taps. And I'm aware, as I said earlier, that conscious and deliberately we had said that deliveries should start from the 25th. And the tanks are, or all the deliveries are on their way. So we, I am going to get a reconciled final tally from independent auditors on Friday. But what I know is that tanks are, some have arrived, some are on their way and the reconciled figure will be available on Friday. So if the member is so interested, I will give him a reconciled figure that I'm getting from MECs in our CEM on Friday. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, the last supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Schwartz from the Chamber. Honorable Thank you, Schwartz. Thank you, Chair. ICDP is concerned about allegations of corruption with COVID-19 expenditure. And in this regard, there has been issues surrounding the provision of water to communities. What steps is the Honorable Minister taking to eradicate any corruption in this tender? And secondly, will 
There is the importance of government be coordinating the purchase of water tanks, given that 306 million rand has been allocated to municipalities in the indirect regional bulk infrastructure grant to fund the rollout of water tanks to communities. One could save money if you were working together as different departments to ensure that the same amount of money is paid per tank. Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Swartz. Honorable Minister. Yeah, we are quite concerned that uh, after all these performance which happened at short notice because of the emergency, we don't end up with problems of procurements which have not been done properly. The reason also we, we, I was happy that we are working with the Department of Water and Sanitation is that provinces themselves were procuring, the Department of Water and Sanitation has been procuring tanks even for us before we even ordered or joined on the tender. But also the advantage of this process was to, call, to, 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 to manage the cost so that we don't buy a water tank for 15,000, somebody buys it for 10,000. So the, water the, the price that we're receiving, it's a price that had been agreed across the government. And I can say it here, Chair, that different provinces have made very good arrangements with their municipalities so that we're not going to be tanking or we're not going to be getting water from or sending water from centrally from DBE. Most departments of education and their municipalities have the arrangements that the arrangements that they have of tanking or, or of delivering water to the communities will include the schools to make sure that you can save costs if there's a tank going into an area to supply water from that area, it will also provide water for schools. So all those matters that the member has raised have been considered to make sure that we can manage the cost, we can ensure that there's no duplication, but we can make sure that there's uniformity. But more important, to make sure that by the time we finish the process, we don't come back with lots of difficulties about wrong procurement or corruption. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Uh, we are at question number 122, which has been asked by the Honorable B.M. Hatebe, the Minister of Operative Governance and Traditional Affairs. Honorable Minister. Um, thank you, Honorable House Chair. Uh, <clears throat> the, the, the municipalities, uh, some of them have uh, complied, but the lockdown is still continuing. So we, we, we haven't done a comprehensive assessment of whether every single one of them have complied. But also we must remember that there are different things. There are things that they can have complied with because part of uh, 6.7 says that it's talking about revenue collection. And part of that revenue collection includes licensing for driver, driver's licensing and renewal and all that. But transport is only going to open that service on the 1st of June. So municipalities could not have complied with that part. 
even though it's under revenue collection. So, but uh, a lot of them would have complied, but we have not got responses from every uh, province in terms of the, 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 the compliance. But most provinces have uh, said that um, municipalities have complied. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Thank you. The first supplementary question is asked by the Honorable Hatte. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Honorable Minister. Uh, do you have any time frame, uh, particularly to those uh, provinces and municipalities that have not given uh, a formal response, so that we ensure compliance? Um, on, Honorable House Chair, I can't hear uh, Honorable uh, Hatter. Uh, Honorable Hatter. Hello, Paganese is Minister as well as well as the self Can you raise your voice, please? I will remove part of my PPE. Uh, the question, Chair, is uh, what is the fact that not all provinces and municipalities have submitted? a formal response in terms of compliance with the regulation 6.7. Does the minister have a time frame to those municipalities and provinces so that we ensure compliance in the regulation? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Um. Does the honorable member want me to list those who have responded? I don't know whether it's my connection. I still couldn't hear him very well. Hi, British system is not working. No, honorable chair, on your response, you've indicated that there are 13 municipalities in the Pogo and two in Northwest. So the question is do we have any time frame in terms of ensuring that we get? I got the question now about whether I have time frames for those who haven't responded. Uh, well, we, we, we will give them another week to respond. But as I say, the majority of them have responded and they've said that they've mainly complied. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, honorable members, I'll take this question from uh, uh, Honorable Brank, the second supplementary question from Honorable Brank. Thank you, Chair. The Minister can't hear this. I'm going to repeat it. Regulation 6.7.1 
of the disaster response directions refers to the legislative functions that municipalities have to continue fulfilling during lockdown. In particular, revenue collection is mentioned. From presentations by the SA Local Government Association and some of the metros, it is evident that municipalities have suffered a collapse in revenue collection during the first month of lockdown. The question is, did the Minister or the Command Council take into account the inability of businesses to pay municipal rates before deciding on the government's lockdown strategy, and in particular before deciding to promulgate the restrictions that apply under Level 4 lockdown? Thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister, can you respond? Uh, thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I think we must all remember that the lockdown was not something that was planned and there would have been plans and, uh, for the lockdown because the lockdown was occasioned by the high, the, the fast rate of infection. You would have heard the minister, not maybe today, but some other time saying before the lockdown, our figures were doubling between two days and three days, we were doubling our numbers. So that occasioned the lockdown. So there was no time to plan for all these things in terms of what will happen lockdown, what will happen to, to this one. It was really trying to make sure that we are not overwhelmed by the infection when our health services are not quite ready. But we have acknowledged that the municipalities are not going to be able to collect the revenue as they would have done had there been no pandemic. Because it's not just the lockdown, it's the fact that um, everyone, I mean, even some of the malls were saying they are not able to pay because some of their tenants were not working, so they are not able to pay. So we have acknowledged that um, municipalities are not going to be able to pay to collect uh, sufficient revenue. But also, if people who are not at work will probably not be able to give electricity at the time that they were not working. It is for that reason, for instance, that we went to government and, 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 and pleaded that there should be some a way of looking at municipalities in the package that the president was going to announce. And then he announced. Uh, Thank so you so much. That's my, okay. Thank you so much. Uh, the third supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Swartz. Thank you, House Chair. House Chair, rising from your response, Honorable Minister, the Auditor General has revealed the shocking state of municipalities and the regression of financial reporting, with only 18 municipalities producing quality financial statements and performance reports, as well as complying with all key legislation. And whilst we're speaking about compliance, Given that the National Treasury will be making more than 20 billion rand available to municipalities to assist them in responding to the COVID-19 crisis, what steps, Honorable Minister, 
Will you take to ensure that procurement irregularities in COVID-19 expenditure does not take place in municipalities? And would the Honourable Minister support real-time auditing in emergency procurements, given the huge amount involved, 20 million rand? Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable the Minister. Uh, to be that, that question, actually, he, the member is smuggling a new, a new question, which is still coming. Uh, it's part of the questions that are being asked today. So I don't know whether I should answer it now or whether it's, I'm still going to come to that I'll question. Say, I'll say, yeah. may I ask the minister to answer the question? You can, honorable minister. So basically, Honourable Minister, are you still there? Yes, I'm here, uh, Chair. I, I was saying you can take the opportunity to, 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 to maybe shed light uh, if you have, if you can. Okay. We, I, I was saying that we are working with Treasury on this matter because the, on the 20 billion, because we, we haven't got the 20 billion, but we are also worried that, we are also worried that since the, the financial controls in the municipalities don't seem to be up to scratch, we are also worried. We are working with Treasury to see if we can get, uh, we can put some checks and balances about how this money should be spent. But at the same time, we have met with the Auditor General and the question that I said was coming was asking whether uh, we would be willing to work with the Auditor General to do uh, on-time um, on uh, auditing. And of course, we would be willing to real-time auditing. We would be willing if the Auditor General can help us with real-time auditing, that would be great. So if he can, we will, we will be um, willing to work with him and to talk to Salga and to the municipalities that there should be real-time auditing on those funds. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Uh, Honorable Members, the time allocated for the questions has expired and the outstanding replies received will be printed in Hansard. Honorable Chairman. Would you, could you please allow me to make an honorable thing? Yeah, I think there's one more follow-up question on this one. On this the one? E, from the EFF, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, follow-up. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Yes, there's a follow-up, Chairman. Yes. Thank you. Sorry about that. Thank you very uh, much. Honorable uh, Thank you very much, Chairperson. My question relates to municipalities, Minister, such as Amashati in the Eastern Cape, where they cannot pay workers, let alone services, are lagging behind in terms of revenue collection. Yet you find big businesses who owe municipalities and nothing is done by your department. What urgent plans does the department have in place 
to propel municipalities to, ad to adequately collect revenue from businesses and private corporations for necessary services provided by the municipalities. And what plans do you have for the people who have lost their jobs during COVID-19, whom as a result, add the number of people who are not able to pay for services? Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Kaza. Honorable Minister. First of all, I don't think that, that follow-up arises from my question. Secondly, mm. it has to be the whole of government that looks at... Oh! Can you answer, Minister, please? Can you answer the question? You are here uh, to Kalebi. It's a new question. Honorable no. Kalebi, can you, can you give the Minister a chance to reply before you object? Go on like this. Yes, is a new question. You must, she must but, answer but the question that has call, been posted. Oh, you can't have a, 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 it's not your call. The Honorable Minister is answering. Can you please give her a chance? And stop protecting the Minister, Chairperson. Just facilitate. I must know it. Must stop it. Stop it. But at the moment, the Minister should answer and do not disturb her. Order. Honorable Mutalipi. Honorable Minister, can you continue? Thank you, uh, House Chair. Uh, I was saying that the questions that are being asked are questions that relate to government as a whole, not to the department. Uh, first of all, the department is working, there is a, is working with the president and the, in, the, in a committee that's looking at some of these issues around the payment of debt, either by municipalities, ESCOM, or by departments to the municipality, who owe municipalities. But the honorable member knows there is no law that gives me power to force business to pay municipalities. If I had, I would have used it already. So it's to work with other departments to see what can be done. It's not for the department only. Secondly, the honorable member, as he is asking this, this question, knows that there is not one department like Ogda that can make provisions for people who have lost their jobs. We know that the government has announced a package. Some of the people must have to, must apply to UIF. There is a whole package, some to social development. So Cocta cannot single-handedly deal with those things. We deal with them through the other relevant departments. But clearly, most clearly what we need as culture is to ensure that the department, the, the government works through the district development model now as we deal with COVID so that we know and work is done in every district, both in terms of service delivery, but also in terms of, that's why, for instance, Water affairs, we, can, we, we know that in this district, what has happened in this district, this is what has happened. 
and also government has taken a decision. Oh, I must stop. Okay. No, no. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I think I think the Thank you very much, honourable uh, minister. I think we have tried our best to answer the question. Honourable minister, thank you so much. Honourable members, I was wanting to say the time allocated for questions has expired, and outstanding replies received will be printed and answered. However, I need to make an announcement. Nigeria, I need to make an announcement. You have been disturbed by somebody, Jefferson. Who is this? You have muted, Jefferson. Honorable, honorable Singh. Yeah, I can hear you now. You had muted. I had muted. No. Jefferson. Honorable member, what is the problem? Time is up. Time is Thank up. You, Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chair. Close the meeting, Chair. The meeting is adjourned. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Chairperson. Bye. 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 B